the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Noah searched for grace. Noah lived in a world that had rejected God, but Noah pursued God with all his heart. As the deer panteth after water, so Noah sought God as living water in his life. Noah was not at home with the world he was born into. He was a wayfaring stranger seeking springs of living water. He sought a better home in another world. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here right now to take your prayer request. We would love to invite you to the worship service in person, but at this time, we are still not able to hold live services. That could change soon, and we will let you know when that happens right here. Keep in mind, we are broadcasting a live stream from the church each Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you can watch that stream at reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video. And if you've missed a previous service or two, you can find those as well at reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Shut In By Him. It's a message we started the last time we got together. It's part of the Genesis series. Again, Shut In By Him. You can find the entire series online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor, teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's message in progress. said, Michael... I think this world's getting so bad that I'm going to move to the edge of North Carolina and get away from it all. For her, I mean, that's the end of the world. The edge of North Carolina. I love my Aunt Mary Ann. She loves God. And she was saying that the signs of the times are clearly, clearly seen. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I have determined. That means God has made a judgment I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The same statement is repeated in the book of Revelation just before Jesus returns. Revelation eleven eighteen. Now God says he is going to destroy those who destroy the earth. The Greek Septuagint translation of that would later be translated, he'll spoil those who spoil the earth. And this exact same language is used to describe the second coming of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. It says, the nations raged, but thy wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, for rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear thy name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now notice the elements of this verse. The Bible says the nations raged. Now are the nations raging today? Yes or no? Raise your hand. They're raging. 
Bible says God's wrath is coming, which means His moral judgment is coming at the end of human history. It's on the way. And then it tells us what happens just before the end. It says the time came for the dead to be judged. The Greek word is the season of time. We are living in the time prior to the second coming of Christ, which is the investigative judgment, a pre-advent judgment of all the righteous dead, from righteous Abel all the way down to the last martyr who will die at the end of time. And here it is clearly predicted. It says, For rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints, those who have died in the past, who have been faithful to God, there is a judgment to give them a reward. Then it moves to the living. It doesn't say those who feared thy name. It moves to a present verb. Those who fear thy name, those who are alive on planet earth who love you, the judgment then moves to vindicate them. And then he says, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now that phrase, to destroy the destroyers of the earth, is exactly what we find here in Genesis 6, verse 13. To spoil those who spoil the earth. In the original Greek, it matches the Greek Old Testament perfectly. As it was in the days of Noah, that's exactly what it's going to be like at the end of the world. So we have a very clear crossover here. You know, this idea of an investigative judgment shouldn't be foreign to us. My wife makes promises to my boys all the time. If you clean your room up, then we're going to go have ice cream or something like that. But before you go and have ice cream, before you enjoy the fun of that great event, she goes into the room, she investigates it, she makes sure it's in order, that they cleaned it, that they put the bed material in the right place, their clothes are hung up, then we go and have ice cream. Is it reasonable to think that God would come and that Christ would come and there would be no investigative judgment to precede his coming? It makes zero sense. And the Bible here in Revelation eleven eighteen tells us there is a pre-advent judgment to see if you are clinging to Jesus Christ. See, God's not looking for complicated things in that pre-advent judgment. He's looking for a simple walk with God that depends on Him for faith and life. And He's looking to see if you're in the business of taking your sins to God freely. That's all He's looking for. And if you are in Christ, you're in the kingdom. That's how it works. Genesis 6.11, a new word is added to the vocabulary of evil. The Bible says the earth was filled with violence. The Hebrew word translated violence is hamas. It is a very specific word in the Hebrew Old Testament. It is a word that is used for violence that is based on the rejection of God's law. It's not the kind of violence based on natural catastrophes. It's not the kind of violence based on accidental happenings. It's the kind of violence that occurs when people say no to God's will and they go down their own way, their own road. I was in the Marshall Islands as a college student doing volunteer work for a year when I was in college over 20 years ago. And I remember the preacher who got onto the airways there in that little island of 50,000 people, flat as a pancake, a little ribbon in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And he started talking about God's law. He said God's law was nailed to the cross. God's law was taken out of the program. We're Christians now. We don't need God's law. And I was devastated by that talk. In fact, I turned to my friend as we were listening to the radio. I said, I want to find out where he lives. We got a taxi. That's all they have on the Marshall Islands. And we thumbed our way as well to the spot where he lived, and I walked to his door, and I knocked on it, and I said, sir, I'm a college student. I've just heard you attacking God's holy law, and I'm here to debate with you. And so he brought me into his house, and as I walked in, we had a full-scale debate going on there. He pulled out his Greek New Testament. My Greek was poor. I'd only had a semester of Greek. So I said, I can't argue with you from the Greek, 
But I can argue with you from common sense and the Word of God. How in the world can you have a judgment if you do away with the standard of that judgment? James says the law of God, the Ten Commandments, is the standard of the judgment. How can you have a judgment if you do away with the standard of the judgment? Unless, sir, you're guilty and you're trying to do away with the very standard that shows you you are guilty. He threw me out of the house. <laughs> now, you put it all together in Genesis 6, 5, and 6. The Bible says God was grieved and he was sorry because all flesh had corrupted itself. It's possible for religious people to corrupt the Christian faith by taking God's good and holy law and throwing it in the dirt. And we find that that occurred right back then prior to the flood. Deliberate choices led to alienation between God and man. In the story, one man, one man is left standing for God. One family is left that is true to God. It is the last family, the last man on planet earth who has a faith in God. In other words, God's mercy is so long-suffering, he waits for the last family. If he does not act, there will be no more faith. There will be no more relationship with God on planet earth. He must act. Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that, we read these verses so quickly. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Hebrew word for favor means grace. He found grace. In verse 5, the Bible says God saw the wickedness of man. But in verse 8, it says Noah found favor in God's eyes, in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when God looked at Noah, he saw something different than he saw in the world. Something made God's eyes shift from the universal situation of evil to one man, one little spot in this corrupt world, one little heart that was right with him, one life, one home that would not surrender righteousness to the world age of that era. He looked into Noah's life and he saw Noah, dear heart, if you are taking your stand for God, if you have consecrated your life to God and you're struggling with right in your life, God from heaven is looking into your heart. He's looking into your life. He will not ignore you because he recognizes a heart bent on him. He is not going to turn away from you either. So what was it that made Noah different? Why did God look at Noah? Was he sinless? How many of you think Noah was sinless? Okay, no one here. It's good. We'll give you an A in theology. Was he a Christian with a giant S on his t-shirt? You know, super believer. Noah, was he like that? No. Romans 2.12, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means Noah too. Romans 3.11, none is righteous, no, not one, including Noah and you and me. So in verse 8, the Bible says Noah found favor in God's eyes. The key word in this verse is find Underline it in your Bible. Just take your pencil and mark under that word, find. Noah searched for grace. Noah lived in a world that had rejected God, but Noah pursued God with all his heart. As the deer panteth after water, so Noah sought God as living water in his life. Noah was not at home with the world he was born into. He was a wayfaring stranger seeking springs of living water. He sought a better home in another world. Now, this is nothing new. This is the central condition necessary to receive salvation. Jesus said it well in Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Now, notice what it doesn't say. Ask and you might get it. Does it say that? It says, ask and it will be given to you. That's the language of certainty. Seek and you will find. Knock 
uh, maybe God will crack the door to you. Is that what it's saying in this verse? Knock and it will be open to you. Dear heart, when you feel like God has shut you away and you feel lonely, like somehow you can't be saved, take that verse, put it on a flashcard and stick it in your pocket. Because if you ask, seek, and knock, you will find. It will be opened and you will be saved. Moses said it first in Deuteronomy 4.9, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you want God, you'll get God. If you want salvation, you will find it. If you're searching for grace, God will come to you with grace. But if you're not in the business of doing that in your life, if you're too busy doing other things and you don't want to find God in your life, you won't get him either. So the condition is you must search for him with all your heart. Noah found favor in God's eyes. Genesis 6, 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The text says these are the generations of Noah. Now we've seen that word generations before in the book of Genesis. In fact, the word generations is found two places before this verse in Genesis 6, 9. The first is Genesis 2, 4, and the second is Genesis 5, verse 1. Let's just take a look at them. Let's go to Genesis 2, 4 first. Here the word generations calls to mind a new beginning for the planet and the universe. It kind of uses it as a word to describe how God created everything. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And the word generations in Hebrew is toldot. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, so in this sense, the word generations means this is the new beginning. This is the summation of how God brought something out of nothing. This is how God formed, filled, and then completed his created order. Now in Genesis 5.1 we see the word again, but this time it doesn't occur in the context of just the creation of the universe. It has to do with the starting of a new family line that would be faithful to God. We know that Seth was born in Genesis 4.25, and then in verse 26 he has a son named Enosh, and Enosh calls on the name of the Lord. And as soon as Enosh calls on the name of the Lord, in Genesis 5 verse 1, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. As soon as a man calls on the name of the Lord, there is a book of life for that generation. And it moves through time. So the word generations here calls to mind those who call on God's name and whose names are written in a book. And they begin to live. So these are the generations of Noah means that Noah started over with God. It means that Noah didn't try to start life on his own. It means Noah started with God. Noah made God the business of his life. These are the generations of Noah means that Noah called on the name of the Lord just like they did there in Genesis 4:26. And when he called on the name of the Lord, his name was written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Genesis 6, 9 again. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. Now two adjectives are used to describe Noah. Let's just focus in on them. Number one, righteous. And number two, blameless. How many of you like to be righteous and blameless before God? You want to be righteous and blameless? Or do you want to be accused and guilty? No, no one raised their hand. Good. Good. Righteous and blameless is what we want to be. 
Now, what are they? Righteousness is the state that you can possess, which means that you are not guilty before God, even if you may have been guilty in the past. It means a state where you have a clear conscience and God's judgment does not rest on you. Number two, blameless means there's an accuser out there. There's a devil out there. He has no moral nor legal right to accuse you anymore. It means you cannot be prosecuted because you have passed from death unto life. Now the word blameless in Hebrew more fully means mature and complete. When you are complete, there is no accusations that can lodge against you. Now there are certain people running around saying, well, if you aren't flawless before Jesus comes, there's no way you're going to be saved. Well, that's not what it's getting at here. It says, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including Noah, if we take Paul to be true, and I do, then why in the world is Noah declared righteous and blameless in this verse? Is that a good question to ask? Why would God say Noah was righteous and blameless when there is no one that is righteous? There is no one who is blameless according to the clear teaching of the Word of God. Why is this language used? You see, even though Noah was born on the wrong side of Eden's door, even though Noah had a nature that was sinful, even though Noah had done sinful things in his past, there was in Noah something different that laid hold of a righteousness that was outside of Noah. God's eyes looking down on Noah declared Noah to be righteous because of something there. Now what was it? The answer is found in the last part of the verse. The text says Noah walked with God. That's it. Noah had a friendship with God. Noah searched for God. He found grace in God's eyes. And anyone who searches after God, God will declare them righteous by faith because it comes as a gift and a walk that comes freely in a relationship with God. Saved by faith in a walk with God. The person who seeks God finds Him. The person who walks with God is righteous before God. Well, hang in there. We will get underway again here in just a moment with Pastor Michael Oxen Tanko. As I reminded you at the beginning of our program today, our live services where you can attend in person are currently on hold due to the current situation. But that could change soon, so stay tuned here for news on that. In the meantime, we are streaming a live service from the church that you can watch online at reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video. If you have any questions about today's message, you can visit reachingyourheart.com. A copy of this message is available there in case you missed any part of it, as well as reachingyourheart.com lets you know about other things that are happening with this radio broadcast. Let's continue now with Shut In By Him. Here once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. He had three sons. What were their names? First name, Sham. What was the second name? Ham and Japheth. The first son is the key. His name in the Hebrew means name. It is an echo of the divine name, Yahweh, the Lord. He named his son after the Lord because it had always been the character of his life to call on the name of the Lord. He is the last man on earth who is doing this before the flood. Now because Noah walked with God, he could not walk with the world at the same time. Because Noah walked with God, he was lonely in this world. Because Noah took a path of righteousness, it was a path with few feet on it. In the end, his feet and only his family walking on that path, and Noah led. And leadership is sometimes a lonely task. Noah was a lonely man before the end of the world. Lonely, but not ultimately lonely. He had God. 
The fruit of a walk with God, dear heart, is not idleness. It's not a theological meandering that says you love God and nothing more. Noah walked with God, and he showed that he walked with God by the way he lived. I want to show you three verses very quickly. Genesis 6.22. The Bible said Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Genesis 7.5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Genesis 7.8 and 9. Of clean animals, of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps in the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah. And here's the key phrase. As God had commanded Noah. You see, Noah obeyed God. Obedience was not his right to righteousness. Obedience was the fruit of righteousness. It was the evidence that he walked with God. He obeyed God because he did not want his feet on another path. He wanted to be with God. God told Noah to build an ark and fill it with animals clean and unclean. Some people say, well, why did he do that? Dear heart, by filling the ark with clean and unclean, God was trying to show the world that salvation is for the clean and the unclean. Whoever heard the call, entered the ark, clean or unclean, was going to be saved. And so he illustrated it by calling clean animals and unclean animals into that boat. And dear heart, maybe you feel unclean in your life. Maybe you are. God calls you. If you hear the call, you do not turn your back on that call. You are going to be saved. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 22, verses 9 and 10. Go therefore to the thoroughfares and invite to the marriage feast of the kingdom as many as you find. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. God's kingdom, God's coming kingdom is for good and bad if they just answer the call. Hebrews 11.7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes by faith. Imagine what Noah's life must have been like prior to the flood. That 120 years preaching his heart out. Noah was ridiculed every day he worked on the ark. Every thump of the hammer was a jeer in the background. Building a bathtub, Noah? Ha, ha, ha. Why do you need a floating zoo, Noah? Hey, Dr. Doolittle, where are you going with that big bass boat of yours? Mr. Rainman, where are the drops? 120 years of late night Letterman and Leno jokes directly at Noah in that antediluvian world. Noah had a heart and his heart was broken because he was a man of righteousness trying to call that generation to God. Mother Teresa once wrote this analysis of loneliness. She said, when Christ said, I was hungry and you fed me, he didn't mean only the hunger for bread and for food. He also meant the hunger to be loved. Jesus himself experienced this loneliness. He came amongst his own, and his own received him not. And it hurt him then, and it has kept on hurting him. The same hunger, the same loneliness, the same having no one to be accepted by and to be loved and wanted by every human being in that case resembles Christ in his loneliness. And I might add, I think every human being who walks a path of righteousness resembles Christ in his loneliness. And she writes, and that is the hardest part. That's real hunger. Hunger for love is the deepest loneliness. Hunger for a relationship that will sustain the life is the loudest kind of cry. So what happens to the man or woman who is shut out from the affections of the world because they have chosen to be 
close with God. What happens to the man or woman who lives in loneliness because they will not walk a path of evil? What happens to the man or woman who is completely shut out of the world because they've made it their business to seek the living God every step of the way to the end of time? We have the answer very clearly given in Genesis 7, 15 and 16. It says, They, the animals, went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which were the breath of life. And they entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And then it says, And the Lord shut him in. The man who was shut out from the world because he walked with God, the man who was shut out from the world was shut in with God in the end. Shut in by him. David captured well what it means to be shut in by him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, uttering slanders against me, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will set me high upon a rock, shut in by Him. Dear heart, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming very soon. If you're lonely, if you don't know where to plant your heart, your faith, your life, you need to come home to God. And when you come home to God, there's a place in the heart of God for you. There's a room in God's house for you. Jesus is coming. It's time to be shut in by Him. Well, that will conclude Shut In By Him. That's Shut In By Him. Today's Reaching Your Heart. It's a part of the Genesis series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, that website is reachingyourheart.com. Don't forget that the worship service is actually being streamed, and we're not able to be there in person. We have to be there virtually, at least until this is all over with. Of course, I'm talking about COVID-19. But in the meantime, you can go to reachinghearts.org video, reachinghearts.org video, And watch a virtual service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. Thanks for listening, and as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.